Burning Zozo Written by Kristen Knight Narrated by Nancy Peterson Three point three Massacre Anna's eyes were so swollen the next day she couldn't see to feed herself. Liz spooned oatmeal into her mouth like a baby, while her patient grimaced and grunted with each bite. Andy, get dressed, Liz said, her eyes clear for the first time in days. I need you to run to Whole Foods and pick up some chamomile oil for Anna. Quickly, her swelling's getting worse. Here's a ten. Get the oil, then come right back. Remember, you're grounded for breaking curfew the other night. Andy slid on shorts and a Wimbledon tee, then jumped on her bike. Shane was outside, kneeling at the edge of Anna's trailer, attaching brackets to the footings. The drone of his power drill faded as Andy rode past him and the barking jackals onto Agua Fria. St. Francis Drive was congested with the typical Saturday post-yoga and soccer mom traffic. Andy wove her bike gingerly through blind spots, trying not to get tagged. The last thing the Scoggins needed was someone else threatening a doctor bill. Whole Foods was busting at the seams. Andy waited at a register behind a woman trying to buy kale with a bad visa card. She rolled the tiny bottle of oil in her hand and tried not to breathe too deeply. Someone next to her reeked of patchouli sweat. Just then, a sleek Mercedes pulled up to the bird shop across the street. The bright turquoise and yellow plates read A.C.A. Andy paid for the oil and hurried across the street on her bike. Staying low, she peered over a Zozobra poster attached to the front window of Feathered Friends of Santa Fe. Rand was waiting at the cash wrap, while the man himself surveyed the accessory wall and talked on his cell. He wore a black T-shirt and immaculately fitted jeans. The muscles on his shoulders and back pressed against the shirt like a figure in a Geniscoggin painting, layered, 3D curves, perfectly proportioned. Arius placed an item on the counter and pulled out his wallet. When the clerk handed him back the bag and receipt, Andy bolted through the parking lot. At the edge of the lot, she mounted her bike and waited for an opening in the traffic. Come on, come on, she said, glancing over her shoulder. Rand was already up the door, so she took a big risk on a small gap and pushed down. She didn't actually see the pothole that grabbed her tire. She just felt a hard jerk, then took flight over the handlebars. A sickening thud sounded as her head hit the street. Andy woke as two arms lifted her out of a river of exhaust. She opened her eyes to find Adam's strong jaw and ebony hair above her, his neck tight with strain. He smelled like birdseed and tide. I've got you. He glanced down at her, then up at his driver. Rand, put a bike in the trunk if you would. A soft tapping thumped against Andy's ribs. She wondered what it was for a moment, and then realized it was Adams's heartbeat. It was such an intimate feeling, one you only share with a family member or a boyfriend. 
She knew she should be self-conscious about it, but was too dizzy, so she just held on. Rand pulled a first aid kit from the trunk as Adams eased Andy into the back seat. She sucked air through her teeth as pain corseted her thigh. Pulling up her shorts, she found a wide patch of road rash. Blood trickled from the edges. Oh, no. She angled her leg to keep the liquid from dripping on the leather seats. Adams slid in beside her, wet a gauze pad with alcohol, and held out his hands. Give me your leg. She hesitated. But the seats. Blood will get on the leather. I don't care about the leather. I care about that wound. Now, quickly. Don't argue. Carefully... She moved her bloody limb in his direction. He stretched it across his lap, then dabbed at the road rash. Ah, that hurts. She gripped the seat. I know. He dabbed again. But we have to get it clean immediately. His cheek was streaked with Andy's blood. We can't wait. The car made a hard right at the next light. Andy swayed. Where are we going? St. Vincent's, he said. No, she pulled her leg back. No hospital. You blacked out, Andy. You may have a concussion, and this wound needs attention. It's just road rash, and I'll have my mom take me to the clinic if I start to feel dizzy. I need to get home. She's waiting for me. He opened a compartment in the car door and deposited the blood-stained gauze, then dampened a clean one. You need to be checked, he pressed, an odd layer of panic in his voice. My head feels fine. You should at least allow a doctor to look, he said loudly. Please, she shouted over him. Please, Mr. Adams. Andy softened her words. I promise you can trust me to go to the clinic if I feel anything weird. Headache, fuzzy thinking. I know the symptoms. I know how to take care of myself, and I can't have another hospital bill. I don't have insurance. Another? Andy leaned over and said, I mean my parents. My parents can't have another bill. You don't need to worry about that. I'll cover it. But let's take care of this first. He slid her leg onto his lap again and pulled antiseptic spray from the kit. The mist hit her skin, and she squirmed. Cold. I'm sorry, he said, then leaned over, opened his lips, and exhaled. His warm breath washed up her leg. In an instant, she forgot what she'd been arguing with him about. Or where she was. Or the day of the week. Or her name. All she could think about was the feel of his wide, warm hand under her knee and his breath on her thigh. Better? he asked. She mindlessly muttered, Uh-huh. He taped clean gauze over the wound. Look, I'm taking you in. I'd be devastated if that wound left a mark or a scar and I was responsible. Uh-huh, she said. Adam said, Rand, drive faster. Oh, 
The oil. Andy suddenly remembered why she'd been on her bike in the first place. I need to go back for the chamomile. Mom will kill me if I don't bring it home. I have it. He pulled a small bag from his pocket. And it didn't break. Luck smiles on you, Andy. Are you kidding? I'm never lucky. She took the oil. I think you're the one with all the luck in this car, Mr. Adams. Everyone knows you lead a charmed life. People who say that know nothing about me, Andy. Adams wrapped more tape around the gauze. If they knew my history, then cursed would be the word they'd use. He shook his head. As he did, a reflection of the brand on his neck flashed in the tinted glass behind him. He patted Andy's leg. There, that should hold you until a doctor can take a look. I promise I'm not always this clumsy, Andy said, now hyper aware of the tender way he placed her foot back on the floor. I mean, the pot, now the bike. You're probably regretting your decision to hire a klutz like me. Don't worry, he said. I feel quite the contrary. I think you're just what we need. See you Monday, Andy said to Adams as Rand pulled up to her metal home. And thanks again. I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't been there. Someone could have hit me just lying there. I don't... It was nothing, Andy. You'd do the same for me. He touched her arm. Just remember your promise to take care of yourself. Especially that wound. He smiled gently. Don't disappoint me. I won't. She got out of the car. I promise. Rand lifted her bike from the trunk and handed it over. A tattoo peeked from his sleeve. He noticed Andy noticing and said, Colorado Federal, my inmate number. Had it done so I wouldn't forget. He pulled up his sleeve, revealing a blocky, ten-inch-long number. She stared. So you don't have to ask, I'll just tell you. He shifted his weight. Ten years. Assault with a deadly. I wasn't going to. That was before Mr. Adams saved me. The sunlight glistened off his shaved head. Gave me a new life. Andy pushed up her glasses. It's just that I thought tattoos weren't allowed on staff. Rand looked down at his arm, twisting it in the sun. Just some staff. Andy's brow warped at his answer. You'll understand soon enough, Rand said quietly and got in the car. Chris's Cooper was parked in the carport. Andy rolled the green Schwinn up to the driver's window, knowing he'd be inside. Liz never invited him to wait in the house. Remnants of the birthday party embarrassment sucked the moisture from her throat. Chris opened the window. I need to deliver a painting for my mother. He tipped his head towards the back of his car. A rectangle covered in brown paper leaned against the back seat. Can you come? he asked. Okay, let me just drop this off. Andy hopped in the house, set the oil on the kitchen table where her mother would find it, then came back out, letting the screen door slam. Liz's voice stained the air behind her. Andy, 
Get back here. You're grounded, young lady. I'm not kidding. Andy slid into the cooper and slammed the door. Go, go. Chris took the west frontage road past the abandoned gas tankers. They were tagged and painted with bright letters, cacti, sombreros. More Mexican than Mexico, Liz had always said about the town, the buildings, even the graffiti of Santa Fe. A familiar image on one of the tanks pulled Andy's gaze. Hey, that's one of Jenna's. A voluptuous 3D Jenna Scoggin angel was airbrushed at the top. Chris turned to look. She's good. Yeah, she used to hang with the taggers, but they eventually kicked her out. Got jealous. They were actually pretty cruel in the end. Jealousy does weird things to people. Digs up their darkness. He checked his rear view to see that the brown square hadn't moved. She could sell her work, you know. Has she thought about art school? Our loving monster, I mean mother, convinced Jenna to waste her talent in a nail salon instead of going to art school. Stay small and status quo, the Liz Scoggin credo. The traffic congealed as they neared the old racetrack called the Downs. The track itself was no longer used, but the parking lot was constantly bustling with flea market cars and booths. Chris used the opportunity to belt pink lyrics out the window. The driver of a nearby car shook his head and rolled up his window. Andy slumped down in her seat. Stop! Those aren't even the right lyrics. I don't care, Chris said. I like my version better. The painting drop-off point was a big house at the end of Cielo del Oeste. Chris stopped at the gate, got out of the car and pressed the buzzer. Not home, Andy called out after several long seconds. My mother said they wanted it this morning for a gift. I don't feel right just leaving it here. Come, follow. Chris got out of the car and slid the painting from the back seat. Andy obeyed. It's locked. She grabbed the massive padlock that hung from the gate and shook it. The mechanism was bigger than her fist. Not for long, Chris said, pulling a ring filled with slim metal rods from his pocket. He inserted one in the lock and jiggled it. The lock popped. Where'd you get those? From my mother, in case I lose my keys. Your mother is the only parent on the planet that would give her son a lock-picking set as a solution for lost keys. Andy followed him through the gate. You know this is breaking and entering, right? You'll have to go to confession. They asked where the painting and nothing is broken. Chris closed the gate behind him, which makes it just entering. No confession. Andy shook her head at the sketchy logic and followed Chris past expensive wicker porch chairs to a cobalt blue door. He rang the bell and waited. Not home, Andy said. Let's just leave it. Chris looked around. Anywhere on the porch, you can still see from road, yes? What about behind this? She tugged the arm of a love seat. It's too valuable to leave there. He was right. Valeria Belikov's work was well-loved and sold for upwards of 30000 apiece. Chris rang the bell again. 
When no one came, he pulled out his rods. Chris, don't. What if there's... A wail sirened through the open door. Chris looked at Andy, wild-eyed. Oh, shiz. Andy bolted off the porch. Chris slid the painting through the door, closed it, and ran. They raced through the front gate and hopped in the cooper. Chris fumbled his keys. Hurry, the cops could be here any minute. They'll never let you into priest school if you get arrested. You'd be surprised. He smiled and peeled out. to say.